Hey everybody, welcome back to The Collective. We have another fantastic show for you planned out today. Very excited, we got Doug returning, we got Kelly returning, we have a new face, Emily McCarthy. Very excited to have you on the show. Uh, we're gonna get into intros in a second, but before I get anywhere, make sure y'all liking the show, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, do all of that good stuff so you get your emails in the morning whenever we go live, which of course is every day. So by all means, make sure you're hooked up with that. Um, today we are gonna be getting into community engagement if you have any thoughts questions comments anything at all by all means put them up in the comment section we will engage them directly throughout the show so before we go anywhere let's get some uh intros uh kelly i'm going to start with you and then we'll work our way down who are you where you come from all that good stuff 15 <laughs> seconds go uh founder and president of the diamond arrow group so i teach situational awareness training to the everyday person um Violence prevention, non-physical self-defense. Bam. Nice and easy peasy. I like it. Doug? Uh, I'm a former CIA officer who consults on film and TV and teaches on intelligence studies at the University of New Hampshire. Bam. Under five <laughs> seconds. Well done. Emily, how about yourself? <laughs> I'm Emily McCarthy. I'm a former agency officer as well and a co-founder of Go Ruck. Bam. Nice. Brevity. Brevity. I like it. This is awesome. Um, so we're going to get into community engagement today. And I have a quick little definition and then we'll kind of see what you guys feel about it. So it says, while there are almost as many definitions out there as there are people trying to define it, in its simplest terms, community engagement seeks to better engage the community to achieve long-term and sustainable outcomes, processes, relationships, discourse, decision-making, or implementation of any of those. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a very brief intro to it, but let's go around the table. Um, you know what, I'm going to go with Doug first. What do you what do you when I say community engagement, what are your first thoughts? I was so looking to cheat off the, the, the other test takers to understand this. <laughs> um, I guess what I think about is trying to align a group of people towards a, a common end or a common goal. And and in order to do that, reaching out to them and and trying to draw them into that vision and to that message and and getting them aligned with you on that and and i think about that from the context of our our business um and and the, the way our business folk, uh, functions is we've got a very specific mission that uh, we try and get everybody aligned with when they come in and we talk with them in the interview process about um is this something you can get behind or is this something you can embrace? And we really try and dig in from the very earliest days about how do we gather the people that can embrace what we're trying to do and, and not just the folks who say, yeah, you know, it doesn't bother me um, because it's much harder to get that engagement with those folks that are saying, yeah, it doesn't bother me, but it's not my thing versus uh, gathering people around us that are saying, hey, this is what I'm signing up for. Yeah, I like that a lot. Emily, what are your first thoughts? Something we talk a lot about at GORUCK is what community isn't, and it's a lot of these sort of online forums that are so popular, and, you know, people, there's a lot of talk about, oh, I have belonged to this community online and, and, and Facebook, and I'm not saying that those aren't a great way to connect, but we like to focus on community as connecting with people in the real world and making it and differentiating, differentiating between that and then just sort of an online life, which, like I said, has its benefits to connect people from as a tool across wide distances and, and things like that. But taking it that next step to community building and engagement, it really, we believe that it, at GORUCK that it has to be done in the real world somehow. Got to be done in 3D. Absolutely. Kelly, <laughs> what are your first thoughts? So a little mix of both Doug and Emily's is, you know, when we've talked about this lots of times, on previous collective episodes is that self-awareness. So first of all, I have to know who I am in order to be authentic in the real world and connect with the people who have similar dreams, visions, goals, motivations, and then to build that community by authenticity. And I, like Emily, prefer to do it in the real world. I think in the online world too often, people can hide behind that, in fact, in the last couple of weeks, I've had two comments of, 
Well, I didn't know for sure if you were really who you are as you portray online So mm -hmm. I, until I got to know you. So I think community engagement really is about that one-on-one. -on -one. And while we are hampered sometimes by distance, it is really taking the time to get to know somebody at a deeper level, at a real level, having those real conversations, um, being aware of who you are and honest about your vulnerabilities doesn't mean you have to like puke out all of you know the messiness all the times because there's a certain level of access that goes along with that um, confidence and sharing your story. But part of community engagement at its truest form involves honesty and authenticity. So mm -hmm. you have to feel safe in an environment to continue to grow then and improve. I like that, Sean. First mm -hmm. thoughts? Well, my first thoughts, I, I'm always uh, able to cheat by listening to the guests, and then I come in with a blank slate and see where it takes me. So I think the first thing I'd like to establish is I've been in a bunch of different communities, and in each community, I've had to do it a little bit of a different way uh, with the nerds when I was a computer system engineer, with the tier one operators, with all the different communities that I've been involved in. I just have to figure out my way within their way. And so now when we're talking about community engagement within the collective, I didn't know how I was gonna do it. I didn't know how we were gonna do it. So I just kind of defaulted to buy. And so the vibe that I'm trying to set, the vibe that we're trying to set is just be cool, man, just be cool. And so um, I think that's kind of how we've started it off and we're just kind of seeing where it goes from there. So uh, I'm gonna throw my answer into the hat with vibe. Oh, now Chance, you went mute. No sound. I know. Yeah, no, playing with my <laughs> mute button. God, here we go. This is how it starts. It was um, the community helping you get back on track. Yeah, I appreciate it. This We're is here fantastic. For you, Chance. I, I appreciate it. Um, it's a team effort. Now, the first question I guess I really have on this goes along with everything you guys have been talking about. But um, Emily, you said it well when you said you guys focus on what a community isn't, and so my first kick the cat on this one is what are some I guess general strategies because uh, that have not worked that you've been able to see that you've been able to look through or uh, because as Sean said with the collective we go off of vibe which is great but that could have failed immediately right depending on how well we uh, how well we engage those uh, those vibes themselves uh, Emily I'm gonna come back to you with this one though but are, are there anything strategies wise that you guys within go record like it just did not go the way you thought it was going to work out. More times than not. It's, it's people, people are strange, you know, it's like Kelly was saying, we, we all kind of wear masks and, and we're different versions of ourselves in different environments. And Sean touched on that too. And, you know, at, we've done a lot of social experiments, I think, um, starting with the very beginning, which was fight club-esque, you know, 1 a.m. meet a, a special operator on a street corner, no details forth, forthcoming. So people, that, there was intrigue behind that and you attract a certain type of vibe, a, a certain type of person to do that. But, you know, 10 years, you know, 14 years on, like the mystique is out. So how do you still bottle up this energy and get people to wanna do things together in the real world um, without there being sort of this surprise element. And something that I talk to a lot uh, to Jason a lot about is that it's really about tapping into something that already exists. We talk about building community all the time when I actually think that human nature being what it is and the complexities of bringing people together, it's really fluky. You know, there's not really like, here's the formula, it's plug and play everywhere you go. It's more, are you kind of in tune with the, the needs of the community? And are you tapping into something that is ready to, to, to catch on fire? This morning, I ran in a run and ruck club that's local here. It started with a, a small group of young people who just were saying, hey, we just want to get some friends together and run. I mean, that's happened a zillion times, but some, for some reason in this community, it was ripe and ready to have something bigger. That group now has almost 500 people on their online forum, but consistently 
over 100 people showing up every Friday at 6.45. That, that is just circumstantial. And I think, um, just to button this up, like if you've read Rick Rubin's new book out, he talks a lot about this, about sometimes an, an idea is out there in the world and it's a matter of like who's there in the right time and place to kind of capture it and harness it and bring it to life. And so I, I think a lot about that in terms of GORUCK and, and kind of what we were able to tap into early on and what we struggle to kind of continue to, to tap into. It is a continual struggle keeping that, uh, keeping that engagement. Doug, you got any thoughts at all? Yeah, I mean, so I, I can't remember if it was Collins, Jim Collins that talked about the idea of, of getting the right people on your bus. And I think, you know, as Emily touched upon, it's not creating community per se, but it's, we've got our bus and there's a whole bunch of other buses that are out there and our bus is going this direction. So it's making sure that we get the right people that are interested and engaged and wanting to be part of what we're creating to get on our bus and help us take it where we intend to take it, adding new things along the way, but also trying to protect against our bus getting hijacked or mission drift, you know, along the way. And so there's a there's a tension, a balance you have to keep in there so that, you know, the folks that originally started driving this bus and had a vision for where it's going have added all the people that can help, you know, do that while um, not having it get taken off of where you actually intended it to go. And so there's I think managing that tension is a challenge that you don't really realize in the early days of it until you start to run into some of the stronger personalities that have come into your community and may begin to have a vision for themselves, it's a little bit different. And so how you handle that can be key and can create some, some important uh, conversations that have to take place uh, in order to, to uh, handle that well. Uh, Kelly, any thoughts to add? So many. Um, mm -hmm. I was thinking about the whole, you know, when you start out, there's that mystique and you don't, I always say it's throwing spaghetti on the wall sometimes because you're not quite sure what's going to work, what's what people are going to um, take and run with, what what's really going to resonate with them because we're all kind of in different stages or on different journeys. So there is some trial and error, you know, and there's going to be a lot of mess ups. And I like, you know, we're all quoting books right now, but you know, what got you here won't get you there is it is a constant evolution. And I think to Doug's point, some of the people that were with you at the beginning that were really excited, then doesn't necessarily always mean that they're going to stay in those same positions in their community. You know, I think of from a business perspective as people who helped me at the beginning get to a certain point, then just on their own journey, we're like, yep, and now I've discovered this about myself and I'm taking a different route, which to me, it's like, oh, I'm sorry to lose you as part of the community, but I'm also really excited for you to pursue what you want. And I get back to community engagement. A lot of what I do is, you know, be yourself, be authentic, be real, be confident in who you are and taking up space and being bold. And so sometimes that means that people leave our community engagement. And I always strive to say, well, don't take it personally. You know, if we're truly about, if our community mantra or motto is truly about supporting and lifting up people and helping them be the best versions of themselves, then sometimes that dynamic is going to change the community engagement who participates. But in the end, I think that authenticity of being real and being true to what you're speaking is going to attract people or create even more loyalty in your community and people are going to want to be around that because they want to to believe in your motivational memes and they want to believe in your motivational posts and then not find out later oh it was just for likes and clicks and the algorithm mm -hmm. that's a great point sean anything to add yeah it's something that doug said he mentioned the word tension and i think that just kind of lit up a big old light bulb in the back of my primate brain oh, oh. and we lost him oh wait here he comes. and so uh, there we go okay <laughs> disappear there for a sec malaysia Dramatic. Uh, so <laughs> i i love the tension and if the tension wasn't there i'd be out of here so mm -hmm. i for me it's tricky 
to ride the razor thin edge of the chaotic nature of what we're doing or what I'm doing. Uh, I'm not taking it too far over the edge, but not being too safe either. So I do love the tension. And so um, what that's got me thinking about is I think this is our 321st podcast this year, or at least on the collective. Of course, I've done a boatload more in other places. But I wish I would have started 3,000 podcasts ago. And I wonder if I would still have the tension that I need to have got to today, you know, 3,000 podcasts later. So I'm curious as to hear from the guests. Perhaps they've got some, mm, some real-world experience on they found themselves deep into the game and thought, ah, it's just getting a little bit boring because boring doesn't work for me. That is a fantastic question. I'm, Doug, I'm coming right back to you. What do you think? Yeah, uh, 100%. You, you do find yourself in those positions where you, I guess, where sometimes boredom outweighs um, or shifts your, your mindset. It may not actually be boredom, but you may not have the, the self-awareness or maturity to look for um, ways to break out of it internally so you feel like you have to leave in order to, to break out of it when you could potentially do that inside. And I think um, finding the right mentors to help guide you through some of those points in time can be helpful. But that tension has to be there. Well, for those of us who who kind of are driven individuals, I think that tension has to be there it, because like, uh, I mean, a stupid example, but um, you know, that surface tension in water can help move that water a little further down its path. It, it, that tension has a, a real impact, a physical impact on moving us. And so I think um, it's going to help us in, in that regard. Mm-hmm. Boredom is death. Boredom is death. <laughs> Did, uh, yeah. <laughs> Kelly, go ahead. So I, I thought of previous uh, jobs that I've had. And once I reached a point where there wasn't, it didn't feel like there was challenge or I had hit the ceiling, I'd hit a plateau and there wasn't a clear upward mobility or continued challenge, I had to leave. Even if I loved the job, I loved the community. You know, I was in sports tourism and that was a phenomenal community. I absolutely loved that job. We got to do so many fun things, so many cool things. But where I lived and the restraints that I was under, I had no place to grow. And therefore, I -hmm. knew I had to leave, even though I love this job. But staying true to myself, I needed to you know, transition, which meant leaving that community. But I firmly believe if you're doing it for reasons that are true to yourself, that there won't be any hard feelings. Like you can leave that community and say, this is not like a harsh goodbye, I'm never talking to you again, but I'm on a different journey now. I will respect the community that I had in this time. What got you here won't get you there, but now I need to move on. And I think for me, kind of to Doug's point, there's, I can't like mediocre, like average. Um, I have a story, my childhood dentist, when I was in my twenties and I was moving to the Southern California, you know, went in for one final check. Cause I'm like, I don't know if I'm gonna have insurance, so I better do it now. And he, we were having this conversation. He was asking me questions about why I was going and, and he, you know, somehow in the conversation got to, well, the older you get, the more average you get. And I was just like, what? That sounds like the worst thing possible. Like, no, that, that's, that's not my personality at all. I think there's so many things to grow and learn and continue challenging myself. So again, being true to yourself, you're going to quickly realize who is your community and, and engage with those people because the ones who are okay and I'm not saying that's bad. It's just not for me. So I agree with Doug and that that boredom is death. <laughs> I like it. Emily, what are your thoughts? I have a little bit of a contrasting point of view, but not really in the grand scheme of things. I mean, Sean, I live, I'm married to a Green Beret who gets impatient and bored quickly when it's not chaotic enough. And uh, I think the key to what we're talking about is is the ability for growth to happen. Because like with with children, I think it can be translated to adulthood as well, where boredom is sometimes okay. 
right? It's it's okay to have a period of like not creative activity or things aren't going clicking all the time. Because I actually think that mm -hmm. internally there's some reorganizing going on. And sometimes like some of your best ideas come from a, 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 a period of time when you weren't getting when you felt bored, you know, and, and I, you know, there's a lot of research on this um, that, you know, kids who get bored, they actually go on to do like build something creative, you know, or come up with a new idea of doing things, a new way of looking at things. So I think if they're, if you're in a position as an adult with a, a job or a situation where there's no growth opportunities, yes, that, that is death and, and you need to find a you know, way to exit. Um, but that being said, I think there is a, a way to to get through these times. Like we can't all be charging the front lines every day. Like it's just it's just not sustainable and um, probably not healthy on some level. But we've got to you know keep pushing the edge to make sure we're not getting in a rut of becoming average or too comfortable. Well, sometimes chaos is just chaos, right? Yeah. And. Yeah. And, and not necessarily helpful. So in essence, I think you're talking about structured time for mm -hmm. planning, processing, and unpacking isn't necessarily the same thing as just being bored, right? It's allowing mm -hmm. your brain to work in different ways and then structured chaos working towards a particular goal is healthier than just using chaos as an excuse for lack of organization or structure. Agreed. My grandmother used to say bored people are boring. And there was there was a lot of truth in that because they she didn't want us wallowing in boredom. Mm -hmm. She wanted us finding ways to use that time instead of just whinging about it. Yes. I like that. It's like a uh, difference between stagnation and uh and stillness, right? Yes. You, can, you can be still mm -hmm. or you can be stagnant. Yes. Um uh, Sean, any thoughts? No, I really appreciate those ideas and um and the contrasting opinion, perhaps, of Emily, I wouldn't, I agree, it wasn't that contrasty, but it was a good angular trajectory that has got me thinking about a couple of things, that's for sure. And actually, today I was uh, in a street food court uh, here in Ipo, uh, Penang. Uh, and one of the things that I did was uh, just kind of chillax into the moment and shot a little bit of content. And I called it shooting some content. It seems, it seems dumb to say it that way because I'm not a content creator in my mind, but I guess I kind of am in a weird way now. And today was the first time that I actually mm, just kind of let it rip and, and not worry too much about uh, anything and kind of just not flaring out, but just being me and having a bit of fun and, and not sweating the details. And so I guess it, I'm maybe now entering into a phase where I'm more comfortable with what I'm doing while at the same time, uncomfortable doing it that is a hundred percent true and it is you are absolutely a content creator <laughs> i hate to break it to you but you are a hundred percent a content creator uh any other thoughts on that i got a, a another kind of lane that where i want to head down but if anybody's got any thoughts on we're all good Fire away okay so we you mentioned it earlier um mission creep this yeah. is something that I really wanted to get into uh, today because it is really easy to allow mission creep. And for those that don't understand uh, what mission creep is, I'm actually, I'm, I'm going to turn to Sean because I think he probably have the best definition of what mission creep is. Sean, what would you, what would you nah, want? No, no, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. We're on a constant mission creep over here. We absolutely are. We initially, we were going to call this the tangent show after the first couple of days because we were all over the place. But the, um, uh, the, the key thing, I think, well, at least my definition of mission creep is slowly your, your original mission will change and erode based uh, over a lack of clarity on it initially. Um, and you'll just either add more to your mission or you will change directions ever so slowly and shift off somewhere else. Um, but how do we, A, prevent it? And I guess even before that, how do we recognize Mission sure. Creep first? And then how do we prevent it? Doug, I'm going to come to you. What do you think? Sure. Uh, so I think Mission Creep and Mission Drift are slightly different concepts, right? Mission Creep to me is that growing of that mission beyond your original constraints or, or construct. And then Mission Drift is shifting off your plumb line or you're shifting off uh, kilter from where you had expected to go. I think the, the 
how you approach them is very similar in the sense of you have to have clarity about what it is you're trying to do. There has to be some transparency and 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 the work has to have been done up front to define what that mission is so that there's understanding and you've got buy-in from the folks that have come in. And then I think it's a it's a constant uh, I guess reinforcing of that in, in addition to testing it, right? Because there's times where the mission, you know, drift has to happen. You know, I'll use the analogy of, of sailing. Your plan is to go from point A to point B, but the second you leave harbor, your plan changes because you didn't have perfect foresight towards the currents and the wind direction and swell height and so on and so forth. That doesn't invalidate your plan. Your plan is still to get to that point B, but it may change your path of how you, it will change your path of how you, you get there. There's no perfect re replication of that original plan. And so, so I think it's understanding that there may be allowable drift in there as long as your endpoint hasn't changed. And then it's recognizing through um, circumstances and, and discussion and conversation about when your endpoint may need to change, because guess what? You, you planned poorly and you didn't have enough supplies to make that point B. So now you got to make a stop along the way, et cetera. And so I think it, it's just that you have to recognize it and be willing to talk about it, work through it on an ongoing basis. I like that a lot, Emily. What are you thinking? Gosh, I was just, I was just um, thinking about some current discussions we've been having internally here. It's, um, you know, I, my husband loves chaos and, you know, it's like you can't win sometimes with him because it's like you come up with a plan and he'll be like, this plan's not going to survive the first hit of reality. And it's like, but but you still need to go back to, you know, he quotes Patton and, and stuff like this. But but we, we found, especially with working, you know, with other entities, you know, partners and and whatnot, that it's really important just in like the 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 mou right the memorandum of understanding to have a statement of intent hmm. just to, to be like we, we want to grow rucking in in the crossfit community or, or something like this and and just whenever you get that drift or the you know the scope creep or mission creep that you kind of can go back to the original intent and say because hopefully the intent is not going to change, right? Mm -hmm. That you you've come you've crafted an intent that can withstand, you know, the face the the reality changes, and that it's something that um, isn't is intrinsically what you both want, or or what the 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 organization or community wants to go back to. So I think it's really important to to come up with a statement of intent and being able to check in on that and saying you know, are we still meeting our intent, even though we've taken a different path to get there? I really like that. Kelly, any thoughts? Yeah. Um, I, I actually just had a question is, I think that's natural. I mean, life is always going to throw you curveballs, things that you didn't see coming and you have to punt, as I always like to say, oh, okay, well, here we go. What are, you know, what are the options that now we have to look at? So is there a recommended timeline for when you should check in on that intent, when you should check in on that mission statement and say, okay, are we still trying to get to point B using Doug's sailing analogy? Is that still, are we still true to that? Because we seem really far off, you know, we've drifted a, a long way. Is there regular intervals that the collective or anyone watching live would say, yeah, this is the perfect timeline or how often you should check in to see if you're still all on the same page as a community going towards the same destination that is a very good question sean <laughs> thoughts on it yeah i like i like it man that's super cool uh, and so my answer may be helpful but uh, or not but i don't have a fixed timeline on any of this stuff because on January 1st, when I said, okay, prepare to kick ass, well, here we are, kicking ass. And I didn't think it would look like this, but presto changeo, uh, here we are. And so I treat the collective like a living organism. And at 60 years of age, I've learned a few things. 
and I learned how I work best. And I work best when I'm connected to my vibe, when I'm connected to my instinct. When my instinct tells me to check in with the core, then that's when I do it. And it's not on the calendar. It's not on my watch. It is when I feel I need to do a little check-in. And sometimes it's once a day and sometimes it's once a month. But the beauty of that is that if it's once a month, then I get good contextuality. And if it's once a day, I form a pattern. And so it all works for me. It wouldn't have worked for me at 30, but it works for me at 60. And so I don't really have a fixed answer other than the answer I just gave you. The standard answer on the collective is it depends. depends. <laughs> it's in the agency too, right, Doug? Exactly. It, you know, as I'm listening to Sean talk about that, though, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, how much we all benefit from our experience, right? From those learned experiences where we failed and learned throughout. And we, you know, so that position of, of learning when to check in, like that's a high EQ approach. To things it's somebody who says i'm willing to be transparent to others i'm willing to be held accountable to others because i trust them enough to give me good feedback in that check-in process to keep me you know to to make sure my plumb line is my plumb line that i'm i'm on track with where i'm i'm going and um i think about it in contrast to what emily was saying about jason living in a world of chaos sometimes and he's like you can be correct that that no plan survives first contact with the enemy because they get a say and they didn't have a say in the planning process. But you can also use that as an excuse for not planning, right? Or use it as an excuse for allowing yourself to be less than rigorous. And I don't think anybody, you know, Patton never intended to be less than rigorous as he was going out and approaching some of that stuff. And, and I'm not obviously trying to throw Jason under bus at all in <laughs> I that. But I but I do hear folks say that and and I think about it even in the context of some of my day-to-day -day stuff and some of the folks I work with, their fear is that planning makes them hidebound, mm -hmm. right? And it locks them into paths. And I just keep coming back to the fact that no, the better I've planned, the better I'm able to react to those changes and the better I'm able to see those those forces, market forces, you know, um, societal forces, et cetera, that, that are colliding with my plan and therefore able to readjust. You know, again, using an American football analogy, it's similar to watching how the defensive linemen set up based on your expectation for what they were going to do and then adjusting your play calling right then in order to call a different offensive play and, and in reaction to that defense. And so I think it's it doesn't invalidate the planning process at all. In fact, it, in my mind, it supports the need for a strong planning process so that you're better able to deal with the chaos that then comes your way. I, I really like that. The uh, my, my brain goes to math whenever it comes up to these kind of complex situations and I'm thinking about a bandwidth. And so mm -hmm. when we're, we're talking about, you know, uh, planning at least in general <clears throat> you could plan for anything which means that your bandwidth could be from zero to infinity right which isn't technically possible but what you're trying to do is eliminate things that are obviously not going to happen right if i'm going for a ruck well i'm not going to get attacked by a shark right okay like <laughs> technically it's possible sure but the likelihood is pretty low shark and you can, or what exactly right you never know it could happen but you know you can you can bring your bandwidth down from infinity to like a hundred and then yep. can, you can slowly yeah. work your way down to a point where you have a bandwidth of like 10 plus or minus kind of thing. And I think that's a, a really key thing on it. And I wanted to kind of dive into this. I have a, a funny story. Um, and it goes back to your point about having good feedback and trusting the people that your community in general. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I was working construction and my boss was telling me the story that he had a guy who couldn't get a wall, it couldn't get a, a wall framed properly. It just wasn't going in correctly. And at one point he went over to him and asked him like, okay, well, let's check this, make sure we're all level, make sure everything's plumb and solid. And the guy was looking at it and he's like, no, it, it looks fine. And the boss looked at it, the, the worker and he had a lazy eye. So his vision was off kilter and he was just eyeing it, right? So it was like, I don't know why it's not working, but so <laughs> the point being, right good feedback i think requires a whole lot of trust yeah, yeah. as as you said but how do we 
how do we foster that trust within the communities that we're trying to engage? Because, I mean, inherently, the, the communities that we're engaging, military and intelligence and the, you know, the average citizen can be suspicious at times, right? In terms of mm-hmm. what, are these, what are these people trying to get from me? How does this all work together? How do we foster that trust? How do we foster that, uh, that, that ability to, to, to actually be accountable mm-hmm. to each other? Emily, I'm going to come to you first. What do you think? Trust is the basis of all successful relationships, in, in my opinion. Um, what we were talking about before connects. It's like, how do you how do you know when it's time to check in? There's a there's a level of self awareness that Kelly was talking about. There's a level of tension or friction that Sean mentioned. You need to be able to be rubbing up against other ideas and bumping and pushing the limits to know you know, if this is going as planned, if you're just sitting back and waiting, you know, then you're not, things aren't going to happen. You got, you know, you need, you need activity. And then we know this, but it's worth saying is communication, right? People have to be able to express these, like, hey, have we, have we circled back on this? Do we, are we really meeting our intent anymore? Are we changing courses? Like what, what are we doing? So those kind of litmus tests. And I agree with, with Sean, I think, I think good leadership and and good followership is knowing is knowing when it's time to to raise your hand and say are we asking the right questions and and things like that so you don't you can't get people to do that if they don't trust you on some level i mean doug and i were in the business of selling people espionage like you can't get people to to talk to you about things and put their their life and career and family on the line without some level of trust and, and, and building trust is, it takes, it takes time. There's no shortcut to it in my opinion, and it takes consistency. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it takes like really trying to see life from someone else's perspective. It takes and empathy listening. too. Listening. What'd you say? Sorry. Empathy as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Listening. Uh, Kelly, any thoughts? You know, right away I thought of, to Emily's point, trust is the foundation of foundation. If you don't trust that the person is truly, you know, is truly coming from a place of they care or they're being authentic, they don't have ulterior motives. I think kind of going back to Sean's thing, he, he trusts his internal instincts to tell him and, and to really listen and be like, Oh, it's time to check in you know, same goes for trust and building relationships is you do have to give a little bit of trust to, in order to build it, right? You have to be mm-hmm. a little bit vulnerable and trust people. And then it's how they react, how they respond to that, that then continues to build on trust. And it's not an overnight process. It takes time. And the worst thing you can do is assume and not communicate with people when mm-hmm. it comes to feedback and communication and checking in of, hey, you know, I assumed we were all headed to the, the beautiful beach at, at destination B. And then if all of a sudden people are like, well, no, I want to go to C, D, E islands. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, if you don't check in, if you don't assume, um, or if you assume that everyone's going in the same direction, then that's where resentments can build or miscommunication and things can break down. So mm-hmm. I, you know, kind of, jumping on that is, is you are going to have some friction sometimes and, oh, I didn't know you were thinking that I was thinking this and I thought we were on the same page. But if you trust that person to be honest and say, actually, I I wasn't thinking that, um, then there's going to be a breakdown of that community because you're no longer going to trust that that person is in alignment, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's where for me with community and I've just over the last couple of years, different events, both at work and in personal life, it's like, I no longer say, oh, I'm upset or I get, you know, like that person, I'm angry at that person. Now I just look at it as like, we're not in alignment anymore. And it, it lets me feel good saying that's not part of the community that I want to be a part of anymore. Or, you know, no holds, you know, nothing, no judgments, but that's just not who I'm aligning with mm-hmm. anymore. But being clear about that, communicating and um, not assuming that everyone's on the same page. Yeah, that makes total sense. Doug, thoughts? Yeah, so um, our part of our corporate culture here is that 
Um, we approach trust from a trust is granted and not earned perspective. So people are granted trust from the beginning of their employment here. And we communicate that, we talk about it, we, we work to help them understand it. The ones who struggle the most with that are folks who come as supervisors from other environments where trust had to be earned rather than granted. And so they they just they really struggle with that. So we, you know, I'm I'm fortunate enough that I'm at this point in my career where I don't have to do a lot of things. My role is primarily leadership uh, building, team building, and and working with uh, the folks that that I get to serve by helping them get better at this. So I get to spend a lot of time in my day working through these on a case by case basis. And one of the things I have to do in order to be able to do that is start with strong accountability and allow myself to be held accountable by others because that helps engender trust with them when they see that I don't hold myself to a different standard than I'm expecting them to hold their people to. And so creating that feedback where they can call me on my BS and know that they're in a safe place to be able to do that, that does wonders for trust building. Yeah, absolutely. Sean, any thoughts? Uh, I don't have too much more to add to this, but I will say this because it's coincidental that it came up. Just the other day, someone hit me up and said, hey, bro, I watched a video of you uh, chirping about a year and a half ago at a 24-hour solo world championship in Italy, a place called Finale Liguri that I was coaching some national athletes at. And, um, and so he'd asked me to talk about failure. And so uh, I talked about failure and I titled the video, The Bandwidth of Failure. And so lots of people talk about failure, 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 and they turn it into a big deal like they've got it all figured out. But I think that not that many people have it figured out at a granular level. Failure has many meanings and has many levels to the game as far as I'm concerned. And so all the little blips and blops throughout the day, all the tiny little failures, they're inconsequential. I mean, no one forgets, or sorry, no one remembers what they failed yesterday because they're all tiny little failures. They don't add up to anything as far as I'm concerned. What a failure is in my books is when it's really consequential. And so if you train for a year and a half to smash it out of the park at a world championship and you get on the start line, you break your leg because you tripped in a rabbit hole, that's consequential. And it will change your life trajectory to some degree, or maybe you're halfway into the race. Maybe you're only 12 hours into the race, maybe only 16 hours into the race, and you start forgetting that you need to drink water. You start getting dehydrated. Well, you're making big mistakes there. Now it's consequential because you've just blown a year and a half of training because uh, you know you fell asleep at the wheel. Consequential. When you put a lot of resources into something, time and money, and you blow it, that's where you really learn from a failure. You don't learn any anything from losing a sock in the laundry. Okay, so you, you fail to put two socks together, but there's nothing really to that. There's no life lessons in that. And so I feel that failure has a bandwidth to it. And so when we're talking about the collective or we're talking about any of our businesses or any of our business relationships, you can fail in all sorts of minor ways and they don't hit the radar. Hmm. But it's the big things, that the consequential things that are the real life lessons as far as I'm concerned. So I'm curious as to what you guys think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to come to Emily first. What do you think? I think that's really interesting. I, I was I was thinking about failure last month too. I had a, a monthly theme that was related to it, and I think I think you're right that failure. A lot of people we don't really understand. It's like a big word, and you could really drill down and be like, well, actually, that's just guilt, or actually, that's you know, it's it's something else that's at work here. And what really constitutes a failure? And um, you know, you, your, your example, though, of like you break a leg, I feel like that's just bad luck, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Um, but whereas like not hydrate, not thinking about hydrating, I've done this in some of our 50, you know, 50 miler races where I just like forget that it's cold outside and that I'm not going to be thirsty and I don't drink. And then it's like it turns out really badly, you know. So I, I, I hear you on that. I, I also, but I, I do wonder something you said about like the little things 
like, yeah, the sock is funny. Like I, I think about that a lot because I'm always like, it bothers me on a deep level. <laughs> <laughs> can't find a matching sock. So I've had to just come up with strategies to deal with that. I either throw them away immediately or I'm like, well, these two socks are now married, you know, <laughs> and it kind of looks similar enough. And close enough. <laughs> close enough. So I do that just as a coping mechanism. But I wonder sometimes if like cumulative little failures can add up to feeling like a bigger one in our heads, you know, and I guess it's just a matter of it's, it's a loaded word, Sean, you know, it's, it's, it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. And I think it can bring up a lot of emotions um, dealing with that. And it's it's often really hard to to get beyond it. But it, it's it's probably another for another podcast to get into right. something like that. Well, well, it is. It is. It is, Emily. And what you, well, maybe after the fact, you'll begin to understand that one of my things that I like to do over here is stir the freaking pot. So... <laughs> I intentionally chose the rabbit hole. I intentionally chose the sock and everything in between. So welcome to the freak show. All right. I, I saw that smirk and I was like, here we go. Right, people. <laughs> Let's play. Doug, Stop. what are you thinking? Uh, I, I think success is a pretty poor teacher. Um, I think failure has more opportunity for learning in it, but it, it becomes a heart issue for the individuals involved. Are they willing to approach things from that way. I 100% agree with Emily. There's opportunities in some of those small failures to grow and and build towards a, a better approach to things. Um, but, but I've seen too many people afraid of failure. And, and so they, because they fear failure, they're unwilling to take risk. And they then get into a cycle where they just do the things that they already know they can succeed at rather than being willing to take risk at things they might fail at. And, and you know, so one, one of my approaches to, to leadership of my team here is trying to have a vision larger for them than they may have for themselves and push them to take risks with the appropriate resources, et cetera, that, that may, they may have been scared to figure out on their own and to create an environment where when failure does occasionally happen, um, there's opportunity for, for learning and growth in that to better prep them for where they're going to go uh, in their careers and in their lives, et cetera. And so I spend a lot of time trying to think about how do I encourage folks to not be afraid of failure, but rather to recognize that, that uh, failure means you may be trying something um, beyond what you thought was was possible or beyond what you thought you may have been capable of and that failure on its own is not a thing to fear or be afraid of but it gives you opportunities for growth and um, moving you know moving forward absolutely Kelly any thoughts yeah it depends <laughs> you know I thought of Emily's <laughs> point of saying failure um, you know I look at it from the perspective of Kind of going back to what is failure we don't i don't know if i truly understand it all the time because sometimes the big failures are what i'm truly afraid of but it comes out because i can't find the matching sock right <laughs> like it, it's that cam or that straw that breaks the camel's back and so then we do look at these small failures as these really impactful things when truly that's not the case. It's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. And until you've experienced certain levels of failures, I don't think you have that perspective. You know, there's, um, I look at it just from, you know, the work that I do and, and studying violence against women. And, you know, so to me, somebody who is, and I'm not trying to be condescending, but who has maybe lived in an environment or in a world or a place where they haven't had some of the same negative experiences that I study or myself have been through, they think that molehill is a mountain. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's really trying not to be judgmental, but helping them get through that. And then, well, what's failure to you? What's a failure to me? Mm -hmm. And, you know, one thing I thought about too, is that whole man in the arena poem, you know, mm -hmm. and and I have to remind myself that sometimes when I get scared of failure is, yeah, but at least you're in, you're, you're mm -hmm. in the game. 
Like you can get your butt kicked and you can be in there and then it, be careful of who influences you or says anything about what you're trying to do or judges you or, you know, tries to discredit what you're trying to do because are they in the arena with you? Mm -hmm. So that's how I view failures is, you know what, did you try? Did you put in the best effort? And then you go back to your community of people who see you, who get you, and who are not going to just let you pout and throw a pity party in the sidelines because your shin got nicked, you know? Mm -hmm. They're going to be like, okay, suck it up, <laughs> put some spit and rub some dirt in it and get back in there, you know? Um, so I think failure, it depends on who you are and the life experiences you've had. And if you created a good community around you, it's going to build your resilience to handle mm -hmm. whatever the level of failures you're going to face. Absolutely. My, that was, uh, you're getting right into what my next line of questioning was going to be, which is. Uh, you're the, welcome. Thank you very much. <laughs> Would you like, you can take over if you'd like. Okay. No, thanks. No, this is really nice actually being with Doug on this podcast and we're not the, the hosts. So right. we can just sit back, sit back and, and have coffee and relax. Well, the, let, let me get into this then. Cause I think what's really important in this is how people fail within the community. Because we're talking, you know, some people will fear failure unless you're in a community that says failure is a good thing. Like I, I think about uh, Sean and tier one units and all these things is that you guys seek failure. You get pushed the limit when you're working to a point of failure and going, okay, how do we deal with this? Rather than when I was in the military, if you screwed up, you, the hammer was falling on you, period. There was no question about it. So there was an, an act an active fear of failure because you knew that you're going to, you're going to not only face consequences, but then some just, you're going to have to deal with all of the extra drama on top of that. So I think that really applies in terms of when you're trying to build a community, it's how the community sees itself fail, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. And I'm wondering how you guys have, when you've been building your communities, as you've been developing those communities, how have you seen failure within the community? And then how has that community responded? Uh, Kelly, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? I was hoping you weren't going to start with me. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of a, a loaded question. Sure is. Simply. They only do loaded questions. <laughs> I know. Um, because I can look at it two ways. From a business aspect, okay, we're all trying to figure this out. The unfortunate side is, you know, I could equate failure with somebody's being badly injured or losing their life. Like if we failed to give them the tools or the knowledge or the skills to protect themselves and prevent violence, then, then the other option isn't always what you want at all. You know, that so failure there has a different weight to it. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, I need a community that around me that's going to really pressure test me. Maybe along that tier one line is, I wanna be in the arena, like practicing in the arena before the real fight. And I want you to be tough on me. And I want you to push me. And I want you to challenge me um, and really question, like find every hole that you can possibly find because the last thing I want it to do is fail in a big way, like a grandiose way, and then have that guilt. You know, there's a lot of, of um, things when it comes to self-defense, the liability of, well, if you teach it wrong and somebody loses their life, you have to, not only financial or reputation, but then you have to live with that. So to me, I wanna be in a community that is really going to be tough on me and be honest and communicate, mm -hmm. because if you're gonna sugarcoat it, that's not okay with me. That's, that's, you know, not something that I want to do. So it's interesting to me. And I mentioned this, you know, before Emily is when I, you know, said, Oh, this is who's going to be on the podcast. And I totally geeked out looking at all the go ruck stuff immediately. I was like, Ooh, I want to do that because that to me is a high stress environment. That's going to push me mentally and physically. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of people I want to be around in general. Mm -hmm. Um, whether that has anything to do with business or not, because I'm constantly striving to be surrounded by individuals who aren't afraid to, to fail in 
ways that um, only make them better. Right. Absolutely. Emily, thoughts? Well, quick, quick save round from last one about risk. And I agree with Doug on this. I actually think that the blood of the problems that we're facing in society today are coming from people being afraid of taking risk, not the contrary. Um, but I think it's as a result of that, I think it's vitally important for communities to exist to kind of create that space, safe space for people to feel like it is okay to fail. And I think it the the definition of failure de depends a lot on that community. You know, it, it's going to change based on if you're a tier one operator or if you're an elementary school uh, mom or, or, you know, in any other kind of category of like, what does that, what does failure mean to us? And um, something like I said with our Gorok events, we've been experimenting with this for um, uh, over a decade now in many different ways. And, you know, Kelly, if you signed up for one of our team building events, you would find out quickly that at some point around 2 a.m., the, the, the special operations cadre is trying to make your team fail. Mm -hmm. they're, they're trying to, you know, get you through that, you know, storming, norming, forming phase in, in a simulated kind of compressed timeline and giving you something way too heavy to carry to watch how you break down and then how you go through the process of accepting it as a team and then actually picking it up and moving it from point A to point B. And uh, I'll just lastly add, we have a pinnacle event that's called selection that's based on special forces um, selection assessment. And it's it's 48 hours and it's the only event of ours where our cadre are actively trying to get people to quit. It's not a team building event, it's a solo. It's a solo and it's a it's it's supposed to be excruciatingly difficult. What's so interesting is that it really comes down to a heart thing. I mean, you, you've got to put in some requisite training, you know, you've got to be able to pass a PT test and you've got to be able to make it through because you can get performance dropped. But what it really comes about is that no one really can do everything that's been given to them in this 48 hours. It's, it's like physically impossible. And yet it's the people that just don't give up and they, they'll just keep moving forward or they'll realize that, you know, they're, they're even if, if, you know, they can make it up the hill carrying these heavy things, um, at some point in time that they can just push forward. And it's, it's the community really enjoys kind of seeing this. I mean, it's a little bit of watching a train wreck, but it's the humanization, the humanizing story, we, we all love those stories, right? Mm -hmm. Where someone's able to overcome. And that includes the people that are drop or, or, or are performance dropped. Like their stories by the quitters fire are, are really important too. Because it's like you see what they're working through, and a lot of stuff comes up by by exploring those edges. Absolutely, I love that the quitters fire. I'm, I'm going to have a quitters fire. I don't know where or when I'm going to have one. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Doug, any thoughts? Uh, I think uh, again, coming back to some some current work stuff, we try and encourage our folks to fail fast. Um, and but what we assume in that fail fast process is that there's teaching and learning that's taking place that they're they're under uh, a mentorship from others that can help them learn from from those failures and the second thing we focus on is is uh, ensuring that this it's not the same failures so if somebody is repeating failures that it's indicating that they're not learning from that process and they tend not to last <clears throat> but we don't necessarily penalize failures uh we we are um one of the things i do is um work in a machine shop and we, we can make parts that may have, you know, $500,000 invested in those parts. And so scrap and, and making a mistake, failing at the machining of this part can have significant consequences. And by allowing failure early in the process and encouraging fast failure, and then not necessarily penalizing them, but providing the pathways for learning, we help ensure that when they get to those bigger parts, um, that, that they're best prepared to, you know, decision the risk that they have to take in making these. And 
Um, you know, a lot of folks that come from other machine shops where they get fired for creating scrap, it, it's a new world for them to learn from that. And we had a, you know, we have a case that we talk about a lot where we had a guy actually machine the blades rotating the opposite direction on this particular pot or part. And he walked in with his letter of resignation about, you know, as a result of this and the, um, you know, the CEO said, what, why are you resigning? He goes, well, I screwed this up. I assume you're going to fire me. So I'd rather resign than, than get fired. And he said, well, no, did you learn anything from the process? And they talked about that learning. And then he sent him back to the shop and said, like, let's not do that again. And he took that part and turned it into a, um, a pot for a planted pot. So it's, it's still around and is an object lesson for both the failure, but also the learning that grew out of that failure. And that, that guy is now a, a 20 year experienced machinist who is one of our best leaders and mentors in our business. That's uh, that it, it reminds me of, a, of an old story. And I, I've told it before on the show uh, is the fact that when I was in metal shop back in high school, back in the day, our instructor made us build a little box, a small little initial box. And we wrote our name on it. And it was our finger box for the somebody going to cut their finger off at some point in the shop, make sure that that finger goes in that person's box so it can go to the hospital with them. And that was like the intro into machining. And it's like, okay, well, that's your, uh, that's a good time. Sean, any, uh, any thoughts on this on failure? Yeah, sure. Um, if anyone's been tracking the collective closely, you'll understand that I've pushed this thing in all kinds of different directions. Cause on day one, it was literally a blank battle space in front of us. And, uh, no one in Canada is doing what we're doing period a live chat podcast every single freaking day. It's, it's madness. <laughs> it's a freak train. Uh, and so no one's doing it. That's it. That's all. And so no one had any advice for us. And so choo choo, here we go. And so I have pushed it all over the place in directions that have been failures. And I've seen the consequences of that, the ebb and flow of the collective where it has not shrunk but it has gone a little dormant to some degree in its growth. And I'm not focused on growth. I, I don't even know statistics because again, I'm pretty poor at social media, but I, I know the vibe and the vibe right now is good. Uh, whereas maybe months ago it was less good. And that was probably directly due to me because mostly I don't know what I'm doing other than I push the pace. And so I have to mess around a little bit. I have to get really dirty. I have to, I almost have to screw things up intentionally to then start doing things well. And so that's where we're at right now. We have had failures to some degree uh, that I've learned from, and, and that's just the way it is. So I think that some of the consequences of some of my mistakes in the past have brought goodness uh, to bear in the current times. So. I'm good with uh, where we're at, of course, but uh, I think you can only understand these things upon reflection. In the moment, you think you're doing right, but you're not. Uh, but, you know, months or years later, uh, it's all just a big life lesson, man. Yeah, 100%. Um, now, we are just a little bit over time, and I can't believe it. we got started on time. We're going to finish just a little bit over time. I'm do we're doing pretty well today. <laughs> all kinds of successes. Um, let's get some final thoughts. Anything at all on anything we've gone over so far? Community engagement, uh, failures, mission creep, anything at all? Uh, I'm going to start with Kelly. Final thoughts. Yeah, I, I think it all goes back to that community and making sure that you're surrounding yourself with the right community to support all of that growth. Um, and authenticity you know you have to have that trust in that community so if you're not in a community that you feel safe in to talk you feel safe to fail that you can call out and hold other people accountable like mm, you know we said we were going to be but now we're headed to see what's going on you know if you don't feel confident or safe saying that to hold the rest of the community accountable as well then um, i think you need to reevaluate the community you're in Absolutely. Emily, final thoughts? Um, I think failure is inevitable. And I think the, the more comfortable we are, we are is accepting that for ourselves and for others and, and actually um, finding the communities that, that allow us to be 
as close to our true selves as we can is is really sort of the the key to all of this and and i know that's 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 a luxury in some in some corners of the world to do that but at, at the same time i think it affects all all areas of social strata and economic strata that you know it's it's a journey for everyone to kind of find their the place that they're they feel comfortable to to, to share their failures absolutely doug final thoughts yeah don't be afraid of risk and don't be afraid of failure i you know younger times in my life i love to uh ski and do things that that scared me and uh i knew that if i wanted to jump off a cliff i had to eventually jump off a cliff and the, the only way to do that was to take be willing to take that risk and to be able to fail if i wanted to ski fast i had to literally ski faster and sometimes had to learn to ski on the edge of control and there was risk of failure there. And, you know, we used to, at the end of the day, talk about how many times we failed literally by falling. And we would say, if you didn't fall, you weren't trying hard enough mm -hmm. because you weren't taking a risk that was gonna put you on the edge of your skis. And that was actually considered among our group, a bigger failure than falling. I like that a lot. Sean, final thoughts? Yeah, uh, I kind of mentioned it today in my live IG chat because I do have to do two podcasts a day because that's just a lunatic life that I'm living right now. And so I did mention that, uh, and my wife had called me out in my own freaking live chat podcast in front of a coffee shop. She was talking about how I got to get a haircut. She's, she said it about three times on this vacation. Because she said, and this is ridiculous, you know, you're starting to go a little bit bald back there. The, the long hair is showing how you're starting to balding. And I said, yeah, because I'm 60. You're, I've got hair. That's a win. And so, uh, as I said to the live chat audience, like, man, you know, my hair's out of control. I don't care. It's kind of like a, a combination of the John Wickenhammer and Bodie from uh, uh, Point Break. Point and I don't care, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rock it. And so um, I also said that one of the other beautiful parts about not really caring what I look like and just owning who I am is up until I, I did uh, this evening's podcast, I had like about six days worth of scrubby growth on my face. And one of the things about that is it's like the poor man James Bond disguise kit. So when I, when I shaved this down for tonight, I went with the uh, Tom Selleck Magnum PI cheesy mustache. It's a total failure, but I don't care. I'm still going to rock it. So I think I think what the point I'd like to make is, you know, try to be confident in anything that you do. Like own your own trajectory. You'll make some mistakes, no big deal, just like this mustache. But at least the troops will have a good laugh at my expense. So we all win. <laughs> I like it. I like it. That's a good way to do it. That's a nice way to finish this off. I really, I don't have much to add. All I can say is learn new things, build upon the failures as you learn those new things and grow into a more three-dimensional human being. And you can do that with us here on The Collective every day. We'll see you all tomorrow. Chimo. Chimo.